honor of the Word of God as I read Colossians 2, 4 through 7. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The word of God for the people of God. I thought it was a good thing that for Thanksgiving, the scriptural text ended with abounding in Thanksgiving. Another version says overflowing with Thanksgiving. So this text in our journey through Colossians, been going through Colossians 1, just kind of verse by verse, got to Colossians 2, and I got through three of the verses, and now we find ourselves in verses four through seven, ending on abounding in thanksgiving. So that's what I titled this, overflowing with thanksgiving. So we look at that today about people who have received Christ, and then how to walk in Christ, and that for these believers, the instruction is that we should be overflowing with thanksgiving. So I asked the question in looking at what Thanksgiving is about, and I asked, what does a mature Christian look like? What does a mature Christian look like? The Apostle Paul, at the end of chapter 1, had said that he, his goal was that he would bring everybody and present the believers mature in Christ. That they would grow up in Christ and he would present them on that day when they appear before the Lord as mature in Christ. This is one of his goals. So what does a mature Christian look like? And I want to propose as we go through these verses, what they're pointing to is that a mature Christian is overflowing with thanksgiving. That's how you can tell. Their words are seasoned no matter what circumstance they're in. They somehow are able to bring it back to an attitude of gratitude. So that's a reference for me to Karen's mom, who was here for years. She had plaques on her house because she said it so much. Have an attitude of gratitude. So that helps you uh, remember that, that Mother Ingrid always left us with that. And no matter what she was going through, she was an example of that her smile, and her attitude of gratitude. She could take any circumstance and turn it into a heart that was thankful to God. And I believe that's a mark of a mature Christian, one that's grown up. So when we start going through this, let's look at that. It's abounding in thanksgiving. What does thanksgiving display and show in our life? So he began this text with, I say this, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So there's false teaching 
coming in to the church of Colossae. And Paul is saying that he is saying, he has just said something, I say this in order to keep you from delusion, from deception. And what had he just said? Well, this goes back to my sermon on the first three verses. And especially that Paul was in a struggle for them. And what he says it was about was that their hearts, in Colossians 2 2, may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the fullness and the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So these bonds of, of love that the church is having, that God's doing in their lives, knitting them together like this beautiful quilt, they're bonds of love, God's doing that, and he's pointing all of them to Christ, in whom God has hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he's saying, don't let anyone delude you away from that. Delusion leads you into a Christ plus something other than Christ. That's where all false teaching begins. It might start off uh, very plausible with Jesus, but always lead you into a delusion of who Christ is. So Paul has said, I say this in order that no one may delude you. So he is saying all the treasures. You want any wisdom? You want knowledge? You want treasures from God? Who are they in? Christ. He's like, don't let anyone delude you from that. Don't any, let anyone delude you. This is very important. He's going to be pointing to Jesus again, just like he has in all of chapter one in that great, beautiful hymn of who Jesus is. In Colossians 1, saying that's who Jesus is. Don't let anyone delude you from that. Even though it may seem plausible. See, all of our treasure is in Christ. He is our all in all. He is our everything. He is our greatest treasure. Don't let anyone steal that from you. Because nobody compares to him. Paul has presented Christ it's just obvious to see that no one else compares to him. Nothing compares to Jesus in whom God has hidden all the treasures. You want to dig into something? You want to get deeper into someone? Get deeper into Christ. Dig more into him. Discover more of the hidden treasures that are in him and in him alone. Paul is just stuck on that. Don't let people delude you. Another scripture real good uh, is in 2 Corinthians 11, 1 through 4. Paul is saying this, if you would bear with me a little foolishness, or, um, or do not bear with me. He says, let me tell you this. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, he says, I feel a divine jealousy for you. The jealousy is not a good word, but here he's saying it's a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve 
his coming, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Or if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, other than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it. That Paul was frustrated with this. Then putting up with false teachers, leading them away from the sincerity and the purity of their devotion to Christ. And, and many uh, struggle too with just that exclusive exclusivity of Christ, don't they? I mean, that's one of the, the, the main complaints if you're witnessing to someone about Jesus is like, you know, I mean, like Jesus is the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And what's the problem they have with that? Well, you know, there's all of these millions of Muslims, millions of Hindus, Buddhists, you know, who's to say that they're wrong? And so there's that problem with the exclusivity of Christ. And that happened throughout all of the churches wrestled with that exclusivity with Jesus. And so were the Colossians. People came in and were like, well, we're Greeks. We've had all these gods. And yeah, it's Jesus, but this also. But, you know, the fullness of the wisdom and knowledge isn't found in Christ. Here, let's add this also to it. And that's what Paul's the delusion and the deluding of who Christ is, the purity of their devotion to Christ was being uh, led, uh, led astray. And so the same thing with the Corinthians. You look at each church that Paul teaches and instructs with and even individually to the pastors. He's talking about and warning against being led astray. False teachers entering into a delusion and taking them away from Christ. It's real simple. He just always points them back to Jesus. You know, in that true gospel, he says, if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted. So many people struggle with that, but what Paul does in the Corinthians, which I like, is he talks about them being betrothed to one husband. This is, this is a good argument. It's like, if you have a problem with exclusivity, do you have a problem with exclusivity in marriage? Because he's talking about a marriage theme here. And most people that are married want exclusivity. They marry and they make vows to each other to be devoted to one another and to be intimate only with each other. They don't want to uh, invite and add anything to that or anyone else in to that marriage. That marriage is exclusive. And the intimate uh, acts involved in uh, intercourse and sex are to be exclusively within marriage. And, and people don't want to change that, right? They want exclusivity. And so that's what Paul is saying, this divine jealousy is saying, I betrothed you to one husband to present you, not with other gods, not with saying Jesus plus this, not with Jesus and this, but to be pure in your devotion to Christ. It's not Christ and anything else. And so that's always helped me with that exclusivity with people. Do you like the exclusivity in your marriage? Well, God likes it. And he likes that his way, and his only way, is through his son, Jesus. And it is exclusive 
It is only in that way. He does not want to. His first and great commandment is to have no other gods. See, this is this is a God pointing you through divine jealousy, saying these other gods won't meet your needs. These other gods cannot have no other gods beside them. Nothing compares to God and who He is, and He has given us His Son, Jesus. And so there is salvation in Christ alone. It is not a Christ plus some Buddhist teaching. It's not a Christ plus Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva, or any of the Hindu gods. It's not a Christ plus Muhammad and what he did. It's not a Christ plus any plausible argument that anything could be brought into the church of Colossae. Paul is saying, do not be deluded, no matter how plausible the argument seems, because Christ is the only one. And I say this to you, so that you will not be deceived. You will not be deluded. All the treasures are hidden in Christ and in Him alone. And he's going to say all of the fullness again of deity dwells bodily in Jesus. If all the fullness of deity dwells with Him, why would you go for these false deities? Why would you fall for them? Don't let them delude your devotion to Christ. In Him is everything. So don't stray from that. And then he says, though, in verse 5, though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your, and he mentions two things here, good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So he's rejoicing that they're not falling for these false teachings, even though he's warning them against it. He's saying, I'm rejoicing that your, your, your faith is in good order and you have a firm faith. And so orderly, uh, New American Standard says, rejoicing to see your orderly manner. Now this could be in their own lives. Their lives are ordered well. And also in their assemblies. There's church assemblies talking to the whole church that I see your orderly manner and the stability of y'all's faith, the church of Colossians' faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's rejoicing to see. And he's really giving praise and thanksgiving for what he sees in the church and that rejoicing. He himself is overflowing with thankfulness for the Colossian church. They have a stable faith. Their faith is operating in their lives in an orderly manner, in the church in, the church in an orderly manner. You can see some other corrections to other churches where they're in a disorderly manner. And he has to bring some correction to that. They're disorderly. They're disorderly in their I mean, the Corinthians even messed up communion. They got so disorderly. You know, Paul had to bring instructions on that. And so there are times, and so what he's saying is he sees that they're, <clears throat> I see your orderly manner. They have that, and they have a stability. Uh, New American Standard, again, uses that word, stability. The firmness of your faith. The stable, firm faith. I see that. The caution church and their life was marked with good order. It was aligned with God's will as revealed in his word. Their firmness of faith was not easily shaken. It was not a weak faith, but a firm faith. I see, Paul says, this firmness of your faith. In our book, we're studying during the week by Sam Storms, The Hope of Glory, page 157, and he's talking about this firmness of faith and this good order that the uh, church of Colossae had. He says, 
This is what evokes a well done by God. People whose lives are fixed and riveted on Christ alone, whose faith does not bend with every blast of new doctrinal wind, whose commitment is not compromised by threat or fear of persecution or loss of personal convenience or personal comfort. They're not, they're not blown away just because those things happen. Oh, my comfort's a little messed up, or my personal convenience is, so I'm going to abandon a part of my faith. And then he concluded there with, be unwavering in your single-minded, it's not convenience or idea, but single-minded, wholehearted, again, 100% into this Jesus and Jesus alone. I mean, 100% wholehearted, world-denying devotion to Jesus. That's how people can have a firm faith and a good order life. Paul's rejoicing. He's rejoicing that they're overflowing and commanding that they would be overflowing with thankfulness because of the good order and stable, firm faith that he sees in them. Though he's absent in body, he rejoices with them and with them in spirit, rejoicing to see their good order and firmness of their faith in Christ. And he says, therefore, so he said all that, Therefore, is therefore a reason. This is what he said. Here's the point of thanksgiving. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, so continue to live in him. As you received him, so walk in him, so live in him. Rooted and built up in him, not anything else, no other foundation, rooted in Jesus. Grow your roots deeper in him, rooted, be built up upon the rock that is Christ. Established in the faith. Sounds just like being firm in the faith, right? Established. When those roots go deep, you know, that, that plant or that tree gets established. It's been there for a while. Its roots have gone out. It's growing. It's, it's blown against the wind. If it's on a hill, those roots grow way down here, and they get ready for that push down this way. The roots grow in a way of, of, of how the circumstances in life have pushed against them and they have their, their faith is tested and they are established. This is what Paul's saying. This is that, that maturity in Christ. And what does that deeply rooted, established faith do? Just as they were taught, abounding I like the word abounding. Abounding in thanksgiving means not just a little bit. I know the NIV and other versions use overflowing with thanksgiving. Now see, a person that is firm in their faith, established in their faith, this church was, what was the fruit of that? What did Paul see about that? It was that they would be abounding, overflowing with gratitude, abounding with thanksgiving. Here's what Paul had said in Colossians. We could have done a Thanksgiving theme service on many of these verses. He opened up with, we always thank God. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom we pray for you, they're praying for him all the time, and with prayer, they were thanking God. Always thanking God. Colossians 1, 12, with joy giving thanks. So there's that joy. That's what he had said. I'm rejoicing to see your firmness in the faith and concluding with overflowing with gratitude, abounding in thanksgiving. Scripture, I love Bob's scripture reading and prayer. The Thessalonians was so, so great that he read the Colossians 3, and 15 through 17 one. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. This, this isn't really an option from Paul. It's not, a, and, and I hope you guys are thankful. It's an apostolic command. If you need that little push, because it is from God's word. Be thankful. I don't know if I'm feeling thankful. We'll start being thankful and see if you don't become thankful. <laughs> you say, I'm just going to obey your word, God. Be thankful. Look at how he goes into it. Look at the inspiration that comes from this thankful theme here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms. How do we do this? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs have with thankfulness. This is the same actual Greek word, actually the same derivative of the Greek word in our text. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. You just can't get out of this giving thanks to God. And I love that giving thanks can be in psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms to one another. But the giving with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That word there, with thankfulness, I was saying that that was a little bit different in the Greek. With thankfulness, because the other one is, is abounding in thanksgiving, the way we translate it. So it was translated a little bit different. It was Colossians 4.2 here, where he actually uses the word with thanksgiving, and it's the exact same Greek word. All these are different words of thanking God, giving joy with thanks, and being thankful. They all had to do with giving thanks. But the one in Colossians 4.2 is the same word uh, written in the Greek. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4.2, being watchful in it with Thanksgiving. This, this Greek word is, uh, I'll give an attempt here, euka isti. That's how it would appear in the Greek. What does it mean? I mean, we translate it either with gratitude or with thanksgiving. Overflowing with gratitude or abounding in thanksgiving, we translate that. That word does mean gratitude and thanksgiving. That's the best English words we have, have for it. It's, it means actively and actively grateful language. So much of it has to do with words. You've even heard it in the Psalms. Like we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another. Those are words to God. With thankfulness, those are words 
up and to God and to one another. Look what we're doing. We're giving thanksgiving to God. <clears throat> Why all the thanksgiving? Why all the thanksgiving even through this, uh, just this Colossian uh, text here? Why is it not just a little thanksgiving here and there? Why is it overflowing with thanksgiving? Why is it abounding in thanksgiving? Why the prayer with thanksgiving? Why offering prayer with thanksgiving? Why always being thankful to God when we pray? Why giving thanks with joy? Why the joyful giving of thanks? Why when we are singing, that we are singing with thankfulness in our hearts to God? Why is God pointing us to being a thankful people and having overflowing thanksgiving? Why the command? And be thankful. Thanksgiving is something that is given from what is received. You've received something. Thanksgiving is a result of acknowledging that you've received something. In the simplest of terms, someone has given you something and you say thank you. Thank you for that. It's receiving. So Thanksgiving, why all the Thanksgiving? Because it's saying you've really received something. A mature Christian starts realizing more and more everything I have is because God is good. So the same about today. His goodness is running after me. And, 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 and our next song is that God has been good. He is good. He's faithful. He's good. And we start more and more, I believe, the older we get and the more mature we get in Christ, we start going, you know what? He's good. Every good. Every good is from God. I haven't really done it myself. We get to where we even pray, give us this day our daily bread. Have you ever acknowledging God that you ate this meal? You ate the bread. He just gave them to us both. Oh, I give them these things. And things begin to make me thankful for them. We just we don't stop and acknowledge that, that even in our daily provision of food that we have, and I know I even spiritualize that too. You know, give us our spiritual bread and food. He's not talking about that. He's talking about give us our daily bread. When you believe that everything that you have is from God, from your daily bread to the glorious eternal life that you have in Jesus Christ, that death cannot even separate you from love, from his love, nothing can. You have an eternity with God, and death can't separate you from him. And therefore, all those that believe in Christ, love can separate you from them. Death can separate you from them. This made me ponder uh, Tim Keller's final words before he died. And he was, uh, he just, you know, just 
all of this patriotic transfer. I mean, now we're taking poems that he spent his life, he wrote another book, continued to minister, went way longer, you know, two to three times longer than anybody diagnosed at that stage of pancreatic cancer for three years. And uh, even his doctor that gave it to him said he never complained. It was unbelievable. And it was pushing him to the extents of treatment and pain. And uh, he did it, as you know, and he fought and he closed with the words saying, Ms. Diamond, there is no downside for me not in the slightest. There is no downside. And he talked about how he had lived. He talked about his wife. He talked about her faith in Christ, her devotion to Christ. He talked about, he talked about his kids following as believers in Christ and his grandchildren. And he said, there is no downside for me, not in the slightest. And it's so powerful. And I, and I, my, my sister, on her, when our dad died, you know, she said, I want to put this scripture on our, on, on our father's uh, tombstone, Philippians 1.21. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Wow, there's nothing to diminish. There's nothing that death can take away from there is no downside for me, not in the slightest. You see, Jesus, at times, he had John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he said, was the greatest of those born among women. But John the Baptist said, I must decrease, that Jesus must increase. All in all is not in me. All in all is that overflowing with thanksgiving for him. Make much of Jesus. All glory to Jesus. A mature Christian starts seeing it's not about me. Let me be reduced. Let me decrease, John the Baptist says, that he may increase and be more and more. That's like Tim Keller knew. It wasn't about me. And churches and planning them all over the world. Not about me. He's going to increase. Jesus is going to increase. Death isn't going to diminish that, what he's doing, because he's not doing it because of me. He's doing it in Christ through me, the glory, the thanksgiving for God to come to a point and say, death is no downside for me to live as Christ, and I've lived as Christ, and to die is to give up for me. For, for me, for the kingdom, even for, for my family, because we will all live together for eternity, death can steal any of that. But my, my values, my value isn't in. That's what these guys, even that have done a lot for the glory of God, like John the Baptist, these just believers in Paul, they could say, I'm going to stay around. He's going to keep me here in prison a lot, but. Uh, you know, uh, if he wants to keep me here, I'm going to stay here to live as Christ. Uh, I'd, I'd rather go and be with him to die as gain. But he's going to keep me around for, for you all's sake, but he's not going to live. So what was their value? Was their value in how much they were accomplishing for God? Was their thankfulness? Or, oh, you're doing this great through me being mister? No. Their value was less and less in themselves. They were all, you know, John the Baptist says, Jesus Christ baptizing everybody. You're not baptizing anybody anymore, God. That's good. 
I must decrease that. He must increase. And each one of us can take this and grow up in life to mature a little more and we can to be abounding in thanksgiving. That he loves me and cares for me not because of all the things I'm doing, my skill, my talents, my gifts, my accomplishment, my life's resume. I bring it because I'm a resume. Yes, I wanted to say, well done, good and faithful servant, that is true. But it is staying and remaining in a faith like Paul is saying that he sees in the church at Colossae. That they're firm in their faith, they're unwavering in their faith, that they're to be established in their faith, and they're to be abounding in thanksgiving. That's what he wants them to continue in. That's what he wants them to grow in. He wants them to enjoy walking in faith in Christ alone keep their purity and devotion to Christ and Him alone. He displays to us, has displayed to us at the cross. My value is fixed in His love for me. My, I'm fully accepted in the Beloved and yes, because I'm so You realize that you will overflow with thanksgiving for every good thing and blessing in your life. And the greatest blessings are in that thing. You have Him alone, and you have your faith in Him alone. So we're thankful. We're rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So therefore, as you receive Christ, continue to walk in Him. And you know what? You will not fall for plausible arguments that will leave you from your faith. And the next verse after this in 8, you will not be taken captive by philosophy and envying of deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of this world and not according to Christ because you will keep Christ central this faith when you're abounding in thanksgiving you're keeping him central you're keeping your eyes fixed on him and so these, these, these arguments against Christ just fall to the wayside that's what he's saying the, the sandwich of these two verses do not be deluded in your faith and do not fall for any deceit Delusion and deceit, the meat of that is to be established and firm in your faith, always abounding in thanksgiving. And that's a mature Christian. They're just not shaken by delusions and empty deceit and things that take you away from your sincerity and purity of your devotion to Christ. So if you gather with family and you're being thankful, be ready. We should always be ready. Like, hey, we're going to stop and talk about around the dinner table at Thanksgiving what we're thankful for. And believers need to be overflowing with Thanksgiving and be ready to give a reason of why they are thankful. It is because of what God has done. Word in your testimony what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. 
and be ready to abound in things that we can think of doing things. So I'm just looking in a little bit and thankful for Jesus and all that. I'm talking about take some time to abound in it. Say, this is my opportunity with my family, and this is who I am in Christ. And I want you to tell you that I'm abounding and I'm full and I'm overflowing because God has taken me from the place that I was justly and rightfully under his wrath and judgment and brought me to Christ into peace with God. And I have a relationship with God who created all things and he loves me and he has given me his spirit and his son abounding. If you're a musician, you might just want to sing in the song about abounding and overflowing with a song and hymn of praise. Right there at that table. Just begin to sing out. And I want to share with you all a song. Daddy's father probably isn't able to sing to us now. And just start singing these praises of thanksgiving. And offer up with joyful thanks to God who saved us. Amen. I pray blessings upon your family. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remember the body of Christ and his shed blood for us. And we're going to overflow with joy and thanksgiving and our chosen song together. Amen. We're going to ask you to come and take one of these back to your seat, and we will pray together and take them together as one body in this congregation.
Jesus, all things is you. You alone are all things. You are the name that holy place of God. Amen. We will be there. That rules and goes. That mighty peace is year by year. That means you will grace. This is the cup of the new covenant given in my blood, given for you for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me and remember my death until I come. Let's partake together. Precious Jesus, precious Lamb of God. Offered his body and shed his blood. You did it, Jesus. You offered your blood once and for all for our sins. One sacrifice once and for all. When you remember that we were plunged in all our guilt and stains were removed and may we overflow into you. Now, as God favor you, every day, even every moment of days, may our hearts overflow gratitude and love to you. And may even now as we sing together and pray together, may our hearts be full of thankfulness and thanksgiving to you. Sing together. Thank mm-hmm. you. 